0: that we can trust that you will hold us and keep us all the way until we see you face to face. Lord, our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, by our human nature, we are pulled and pushed by the things of the world, the things of the flesh. Our enemy, Satan, attacks us. The adversary comes against us, Lord, trying to lure us away from you. And so, Lord, we know and we admit that we have that weakness in us. Lord, we know that we, of our own nature, will... Every single time, choose something other than you. And so thank you that in Christ, that is not our only option. That you have given us your spirit, which seals us into the day of redemption. That that tethers us to the finished work of the cross. And we are so thankful for that. And so thank you, Father, for that grace. But Lord, we pray that that grace would not only keep us in you, but also would remind us that we can walk daily in you that we can make a choice to surrender to you, Lord, and not to the things of the world. And so, Father, thank you for that and all that you are. Bless now this service. Open your word to us and help us to have understanding in these things that we might glorify you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you. You may be seated. As you guys are seated, we are going to look at just—I'm just going to share a couple announcements from uh, this morning. And so just kind of want to review a few things here. Uh, First and foremost, want to make sure you guys know about Home Plate. Uh, Pastor Greg shared about that this morning, what an amazing opportunity that is to, uh, as a family or an individual, uh, to take apart something like that and go and be a part of what they put on there. It is really something you won't regret. Uh, It's a lot of fun. And uh, again, all the ticket prices are there uh, for the different ticket options. Again, when you go, uh, everyone will meet up at the one gate, uh, the certain location. Uh, During the home plate stuff, the testimonies and all of that, we'll all be together for the most part. Um, And then once we break from that... There'll be the clinics on the field that, again, you can go down and kind of be on the field and watch that. Or if you have children or grandchildren that are interested in uh, baseball or sports in general, it's a really cool opportunity to go down there and see the players, hear them kind of giving some tips and some advice on some things. Um, And then when it comes to the game, that's when you would then go to your uh, specific seats that you ordered. So again, there's some price ranges here from $25 up to $65, depending on what you would like to do there. If you have any questions, you can have to see Pastor Greg tonight before you leave, or you can just sign up at the Welcome Center um, definitely want to encourage you to sign up as soon as possible um, so we can make sure we get that scheduled and get those tickets ordered, all right? also want to let you know next Sunday is 125, our celebration for 125 years, so you don't want to miss out on that. We're going to have a potluck celebration after service. Uh, meat is provided. We're looking for sides, salads, desserts, those kind of things, so sign up for that. Um, something kind of cool that I just kind of was able to confirm this morning, um, we have some, obviously, some people that attend our church that have literally like been born and grown up in North Goodland and around North Goodland with their family and even their family and their extended family being a part of that. So uh, next Sunday, um, I just asked a couple of those couples whose families have been a part of North Goodland for literally for multiple generations um, to share in our morning service. They're just going to share some snippets of a history there about that. Um, I'm also going to be able to read. uh, We got an amazing letter from the Abrams who are missionaries that we supported for many, many years who have been retired now for a couple of years, um, a letter from them sharing their love for North Carolina. They were actually sent out. Um, and we will still also continue in our series on the Passion Week, but it's going to be a little shorter. It's going to, we're going to kind of split the service a little bit about the celebration and a little bit about the Passion Week, and so we'll split it up a little bit, but we're excited for it. Uh, Dinner for Six is going on. Sign up for that. Discovering Church Membership is going on. Don't forget about that. If you're interested in, in finding out more about what it means to be a member of the church, uh, we encourage you to be a part of those sessions. Funds for Floors, um, I mentioned this morning we kind of rearranged the envelopes, got them back more in order, and uh, what a praise. Um, I did that on Wednesday and uh, Wednesday night one was missing when I came in on Thursday so that was exciting and then uh, tonight I look over and I see quite a few missing from this morning and so praise the Lord that that continues to be something we chip away at I'm um, excited to see how the Lord uses that and then also don't forget the mom-to-mom sale March 25th Um, put on by our Lyft ministry. You can talk to uh, Barb Goodwin, who's here tonight, if you have any questions about that, whether it's being a vendor or being someone that wants to come and shop. Also, uh, the whole month of March, don't forget, we're also collecting for the Pregnancy Center of Lapeer. And so there's a table out here in the lobby. And so we're going to have a couple boxes out there, but you can just bring in different items on that list. Again, if you're like, hey, I have some ideas of something I want to bring that isn't on the list, is that okay? All I would encourage you to do is I mean, obviously you can bring it in, but number two would be if you want to just contact the parking Center of Lapeer directly and say, hey, is there anything not on this list that I could bring if you have questions? Um, but that list is what they gave us for needs that they have for this ministry. So be a part of that. We encourage you to do so the whole month of March. We're going to be collecting for that. All right. So those are kind of the big announcements, a lot of things going on. Uh, don't forget about Bible studies starting up this week. So if you sign up for that, uh, we encourage you to be there and to Uh, come out this week, so that's going on. But if there's no questions or anything, we'll jump right into our devotion. Does anyone have any questions or anything about anything upcoming, announcements, anything going on? All right, well, if you'd like to open the Bible this evening, you can and go to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, as we've kind of been doing, we're going to be there uh, in a few minutes. We're going to kind of set the stage share a little bit about what we're going to be talking about tonight, and then move to Ephesians 4. All right, so we'll get there, but just give us a few minutes. So Ephesians 4, we have been going through the Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity, and uh, just as a kind of a little bit of a review, what's another name for Progressive Christianity? Liberal Christianity. And we said this every, well, the first few weeks anyway. Um, I really want you to be thinking about not liberal politics. Think liberal as far as interpreting scripture. Everything is seen through the lens of how it affects me as a person, right? My understanding, my ability to comprehend this. And that's how I now define what scripture says or doesn't says. Say, if it fits into my culture, it fits into my way of thinking okay, it's fine. If it contradicts my way of thinking or doesn't fit, then I must reject it, right? And that's not what it could mean. It can't mean that. It can't mean what you're telling me it means because I don't understand that. So that's really what we mean by liberal Christianity. Now, we've discovered a lot of things in these first six commandments. We're on the seventh commandment tonight. Um, But I just want to open it up real quick. Is there anyone that has, as we've been going through this week to week, Maybe something you've noticed is a commonality, and we've touched on some of these commonalities from one commandment to another or just the overall progressive Christianity, but there's some specific things we've noted in these commandments that kind of tie together a little bit. So I just want to take a moment and just throw it out there if you've been with us for a few weeks and you've kind of been going through this for a while now. Um, what is a commonality that you're sensing or you're seeing in progressive Christianity? Now, you can summarize it. I don't need you to quote one of the commandments or whatever. I just want a kind of general idea, but maybe a way that you'd kind of summarize or look at just a commonality or something we see commonly talked about in progressive Christianity. Yeah, Avi. I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but two things that keep jumping me are the very because like, sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So you're trying to seem so loving. Oh, but well, we're gonna hide the truth so people go to hell. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like every yeah. single thing that they're trying to pretend like they are so great about, like so hip and so non-judgmental and so open minded and this and that. But you're like everything you're just ushering people right in the house, mm-hmm. exactly what you're trying to accomplish, is the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. So No, those are that's exactly what I was kinda looking for, is just a generalized overview of some of the themes or things we see that run from one commandment to the next, and really just as a movement, some things we see. And I agree 100% with what you said at the very beginning. The, The trick of Satan, the bait of Satan, is to try to get us to question God's word and to ask the question, did God really say? And the minute we question God's word in one area because it doesn't fit with what we want, our, our desires, or whatever, we can easily now start questioning God's word in a lot of areas. So I agree 100% with that. And you're right. There is a lot of hypocrisy in it, as we said it before. They encourage you to go on a journey of learning and growth and ask questions. But then if you say, okay, I've arrived at the end of my journey and I have some answers, they will shoot you down. Because, no, we're all growing and we're all on a journey. Well, that's a pretty definitive statement to say we're all growing. But then you're getting mad at me for making definitive statements, right? So absolutely. Keith. I think that, up on that if we're all growing, it's like a child. Sure, there's but there's not a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. I think that's a big part of what we're hearing. There's a yeah. lack of self-responsibility for your own faith. Yeah, I agree 100%. I love that analogy that like if you're constantly in a state of growing, then you never reach the point of going, as an adult, I now take responsibility for my actions, my thoughts, my words, whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. I would call it mold for so In other words, I can make mold in whatever I want. Oh, sure. Right, right. I like that molded Christianity. So, if you see a book come out in about a year and a half called Molded Christianity, I'll, I'll put a little blurb in the beginning about you know where the idea came from. Absolutely, Avi. Yes, yes. Own image. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, we were made in him as his image and now we're forming him into ours. Absolutely. Any other thoughts on that? Just some commonality, some common themes, some summary ideas about this whole movement. It's it's, it's, it's of their hearts instead of um, Okay. One. Yeah, Kelsey said it's, it's a lot of the hearts. It's based in the hearts, based in feelings and emotions. And they really miss the core point of whatever that point they're trying to make is in Christianity, right? They're missing the core principle or point of what the Bible actually says Christianity is, right? Anyone else? Because I just wanted to take a minute as a way of reviewing, just get some feedback and stuff. So, oh, I almost got you, Chrissy. She, she was trying to move her hand to get out of the way, and then she realized she was raising her hand. Lucky this isn't an auction. You just bought something. What's the, what's the overall view? And we've kind of touched on this, so I'm glad to hear this in, in a way. What's the overall view of Scripture? How would a liberal Christian handle Scripture in all that we've been saying versus how a Christian <laughs> will handle Scripture, should handle Scripture? Okay. Yeah. A lot of suggestions. Going back to what was said, uh, Jeff said, it's, it's molding, right? I mold even scripture to meet what I want. Okay, it's relationship, not doctrinal. So I take the stories of Jesus, you know, healing the sick or having a conversation with the Samaritan woman, and I take the relational part out of it, but I ignore the doctrine or the teaching that might cause conviction, right? Absolutely. But yeah, again, driven by emotion. Right. They pick apart what they want, mm-hmm. No, yeah, this is the ultimate truth. Right. Right. They not what it really yep, absolutely. Any other thoughts on that? Right. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. And I think Vody Bauckham was the one that said that a lot of liberal Christians will see Jesus as rescuing us from the previous vicious administration, right? Like he's rescuing us. He's the happy, friendly Jesus who rescues us from that really bad guy who used to be in charge, right? In the old Testament, right? Renee. That's a huge point. By the way, where does that lack of understanding, so therefore it affects how we interpret it, start? It doesn't start with sexuality or marriage. It starts where? Genesis 1 and 2. If you take Genesis 1 and 2 and say, well, we can't really interpret that literally because obviously Moses didn't really understand the complexities of evolution, so we can dismiss Genesis 1 and 2 as the writer didn't really get it. He was being figurative. Do you see how quickly you can apply that to other areas of scripture, the same principle. Well, Paul really didn't understand, or, you know, this individual, this prophet didn't really understand what they were saying, right? So we can't take it as literal. By the way, what we're really saying is it's not inspired. That's really what we're saying. The word of God is not inspired. It's suggestions, it's good ideas, it's good principles right? There's, there's relational things in there that work. We should be honest. We should love our neighbor as ourselves, and that's fine, but we don't see it as inspired. This is why when you study theology, one of the first theology classes you will take or should take is bibliology. Why? Because everything you believe about God has to be built upon a right understanding of the Word of God. If I don't understand the word of God in the right context and the right way to interpret the word of God, I'll never understand Jesus, the Holy Spirit, salvation. None, none of it'll make sense apart from understanding the word of God. So that's why every if you go to a university or a college and you study theology, one on one, it's bibliology. Let's get a right handle on scripture. Now we can move into What does the Bible say about Jesus, salvation, and all these things? If you do it the other way around, you're going to end up with picking and choosing, right? Because you don't see Scripture as inspired. Um, So anyone else? Anything else before we move on? I I just wanted to kind of use it as a way to review, kind of go through some things there. Yeah? Okay. So Seventh Commandment. And again, I know I gave you guys all ten at the beginning, but I'll go ahead and read through this again. The Seventh Commandment is meeting actual needs... And you're going to hear everything we just talked about in this commandment. Meeting actual needs is more important. So meeting actual needs is more important. Some of you are like, how's it going to end? Like you're trying to think about how it's going to end. Than maintaining institutions. Meeting actual needs is more important than maintaining institutions. Meeting actual needs is more important than maintaining institutions. Now, there's a, there's a key in this commandment. They've done this almost in every commandment. There's a word here that they do this on purpose to make us believe. I'm not saying institutions are bad or wrong. I'm just saying this is more important than that. You can have your institutions, that's fine, but this is really what's important. And they've done this in every Commandment. By the way, what do we think that institution is they're referring to? Okay. That, yeah. And where do we go to learn that? The church. They're, they're getting pretty basic. It's the actual church gathering. So what's the commandment really saying here? So as we try to do, I'll try to give you an idea of what they're really saying. And then we'll talk about the biblical approach to this idea. So what is this really saying? Well, Gully, again, our, our kind of advocate of this laments how, quote, institutional functions and dysfunctions trump the church's mission and purpose. He argues that most Christians are blind to this reality. Another quote. It seems to be a common trait among humans and the institutions we create to ignore our flaws, even as those failings cripple our ability to function and grow. There's that word grow again, right? We never really arrive. We're just all growing. So I'm going to read that again. and I'm going to ask you to kind of Give me feedback on this quote. All right, so I want you to see if you can pick out some of the errors in this quote. It seems to be a common trait among humans and the institutions we create to ignore our flaws, even as those failings cripple our ability to function and grow. There's one key thing that jumps out to me in that quote. What did you hear there that maybe, one more time, for those in the back? It's, <laughs> I had to read it seven times, so it was that say about me? Okay. Did you just snort? Did someone snort? I thought I heard something. Oh, the baby snorted. Okay. All right. Okay. I don't think the baby snorted. Okay, let's move on. It seems to be a common trait among humans and the institutions we create to ignore our flaws, even as those failings cripple our ability to function and grow. So what's the institution he's talking about? So what's wrong with that quote, Keith? Yeah. Yeah. So that should just jump out at you. Who created the church? Right. Specifically, Jesus Christ instituted the church, right? He laid the groundwork of the church. We didn't create the church. Now, what does he mean? Let's be fair. Let's try to be fair to what he's maybe trying to get at. What does he mean when he says our institutions? Let's be fair and say... Maybe he doesn't mean church, big church. Now I think he does. But what could he be referring to if we're trying to be fair to him and his opinion? For sure, to be fair, like, there are so much of the way, like, for example, American Christianity looks is so different from African Christianity, Asian Christianity, or, you know, Middle Eastern Christianity. Mm Liberty. Liberty. liberty thank you and all these chairs, yep right? so I mean, and, and so much of that like even in America look at all the differences yes right yeah right like, Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so all of those differences can lead to people getting upset, right? This church is different than that church, whatever. Church versus religion. Okay. That's what I think of when I'm hearing that. Okay. Because religion is so demanding and so, you know, it's, you must do this. You must Okay. Yep. No, if we're trying to think, give him the benefit of a doubt. Now I tell you that he really does mean church, big all church, but some people hear this and they go, yeah, I agree with that because those institutions that we create and they think of these things, right? What else might he be referring to? Yeah. It seems to be a common trait among humans And the institutions we create to ignore our flaws, even as those failings cripple our ability to function and grow. So what else might he be speaking to here? Or what else jumps out to you? Let's go that route. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. So we don't want to acknowledge our flaws and in not acknowledging our flaws, it's crippling us to not be able to function and grow. So we have to stop and say, well, how, what are the flaws he thinks we have? Well, commandments one through six. Focusing on doctrine and focusing on judging and focusing on behavior. Those are flaws. So again, we can't take seven out of the other ten. So if you preach doctrine and behavior and practice church discipline, those are flaws. And as long as you don't acknowledge those as flaws, you'll never function and grow. No, 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 that's what I'm saying. The institutions, I would point out too, most people when they hear institutions of of churches, they think denominations. And this is why there's been a huge move in church to get rid of any denomination, right? In the last 20, 30 years, denominations become a bad word. No, no, there's no denominations, we're all Christians. Well, if you study church history, you'll find out That denominations are not intrinsically bad. There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, sometimes there's a healthiness to if this group of Christians believe this is how we should baptize, and this group of Christians believe this is the mode of baptism, and they're both within the realms of church history and scripture, and they agree to disagree, so they gather over here and worship, and they gather over there and worship, and we're fine. We love you. You love us. We'll pray for you. You pray for us. But we can't. Function in the same building because our disagreement is going to affect how we do church, that's not a bad thing. It's when those differences of doctrine or differences of opinion lead to, well, we're better than you, or we're right, you're wrong, and the infighting in Christianity, now we've crossed that line. But we can't think the word denomination is bad. Another thing that that Julie said that I just want to touch on real quick, because I agree with what she said, religion. And the church as I I think you said church and religion, but when I hear church, I know Julie means the actual biblical church, the the function of Christianity. We have to pause here. We've all heard the saying, right? Jesus didn't preach religion. He preached relationship. Okay. That sounds really good. Practically, practically, what is Christianity? If we're being honest, if you're talking to somebody in the world, what is Christianity. It's a religion. What, is, what does James say about religion? Okay. Did he say religion is bad? He said hypocritical religion is bad. So I know the statement and I've heard it for years. I've said it. I understand what we mean. But I've also had conversations with people They get really confused and they go, that bothers me because it's a religion, <laughs> right? It's, the word religion just means an act of worship. Just giving an act of worship to God. Just the works of worshiping God. Nothing wrong with that. And I know why we do it. We distinguish it because we see religion as the legalism and the works and all that. And Christianity as the grace-based relationship with Jesus Christ. But if we're being honest, and this is a side note. But if we're being honest, it's a religion. Okay? So I'm just kind of throwing that out there. If you come across somebody and they say, no, it is a religion. Don't argue that point. Because they're right. (laughs) It is a religion. The difference is the basis of our religion. Every world religion, every world belief system, apart from Christianity, starts with distance from God. How are you gonna get connected to God? How are you gonna get to God? How are you gonna get to heaven? Everyone is based in works, everyone, except for Christianity. It's the only grace based religion. So I'm just throwing that out there. When, when Julie said that, I agree with what she said, but I've heard that over the years. And like I said, I've said it myself. But I just wanted to throw that out there because I've, I've heard conversations with people say, well, you say it's not a religion, but it is a religion. So let's not argue that point, okay? Let's understand that religion is not a bad word. It needs to be the proper religion of what the Bible is for, that pure, undefiled religion before God, okay? All right. Let's move on. I'll I'll give you a little more of his thoughts on this. Um, Also, Gully speaks to this tendency of walking away from organized religion. There's another term we hear a lot. Uh, Institutions, uh, organized religion. Oh, I'm sorry, quickly, on that quote. um, When he says our ability to function and grow, so function and grow, we also have to realize he's defining those terms. So think about that as we go through the rest of this. All right. So again, he talks about this tendency of walking away from organized religion and being disillusioned with the institutional church. This is becoming more and more common, especially among the younger demographics. Gully attempts to give some helpful tips and observations. So thankful he does. But again, the goal is not to restore the church to a biblical idea, but to divorce Jesus from the bride, the church. That's really His goal, And when I hear people say that, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. It's like saying, I love you, but I can't stand your spouse. Right? And I won't even use an example of anyone in the room because I don't want to cause an email or a fight or anger. I don't want to offend anybody. But it'd be like saying to somebody, hey, you're my best friend. I really like being around you, but, dude, I can't stand your wife. I can't. Well that's not exactly complimenting the person, right? Jesus, I love you, but I can't stand your bride. I can't stand the church. And people say this and they think they're being spiritual. Like, oh, I'm madly in love with Jesus and I love everything about Jesus, but I can't go to church. I don't like the church. If you love Jesus and if you're committed to Christ, you will be a part of the church, connected to the church, gathering as the church. You cannot divorce one From the other. Now, is it true that people are walking away from organized religion because of all the things you just said? The way we do church, the legalism, right? The difference of opinion and all those things. Of course it is. And it leads us to understand a truth that we must really admit. Does the church have flaws? Biblical, biblically defined flaws. Yeah. So here's a statement that's going to not shock you but summarize what we mean by that. The church is not perfect. The church is not perfect. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. I knew we'd get there sooner or later. Ephesians chapter 4. So we're going to read two texts that really give us a lot of insight into the church. Okay? Into that function and purpose of the church. Not exhaustive, but gives us some ideas. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Uh, So if I can get a volunteer that would like to read that for us, so Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16, who'd like to start? Avi, thank you. And then Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. So Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, who'd like to read that one for us? Kelsey? Awesome. All right, Avi, go ahead.
1: Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more, like Christ, who is the head of his body the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as, does, as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole
0: body is healthy and growing and full of love. Okay. So, just a second, Kels. So, here we see some key things here. What's the foundation of the church? Christ laid the foundation, the apostles uh, and the prophets. Then we move to evangelists, pastor, teachers. Okay, that's the progression in the New Testament, right? The apostles and prophets in the beginning. Then Paul appoints pastoral leadership, Titus and Timothy, for example. And then we see that being the continuation of leadership moving forward. And what's the purpose? It lays out the purpose to perfect the saints. That doesn't mean to make them perfect. It means to help them to grow, to mature, right? For the building up of the body of Christ. It talks about growing. So the statement we made last week, we are all growing, right? We're all growing in Christ. But again, we aren't growing in Christ to hope one day we reach a point of saying, okay, now we're there and we'll go to heaven. That's already secure. We are secure in Christ. We've arrived in Christ, but we're growing in holiness, okay? Then he says, once we reach that point of being with him, we come together as the perfect man, the mature man. Then we will no longer be pushed around, right? And convinced of all these different deceitful things. But in the meanwhile, what are we doing? We're speaking the truth in love and we're being fitted together. We're being joined together as the body of Christ. So in this teaching, is the church important or not important for the growth and development of the body of Christ, the individual's? It's essential, right? It's essential because remember, whenever people tell me, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I don't need to go to church to grow. I'm always amazed that they'll go and they'll quote some verses in letters written to a church. So if they took that principle and applied it 2000 years ago and they lived in Philippi, guess what? They would never hear it because they weren't there right? But we, we do this again. So again, it's essential. Uh, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. If you want to spend a little longer time on verse 22 and pause, that's fine. I'll let you do that. So <laughs> yeah, just read it as slow and as drawn out as possible.
1: Any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord of the Church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife. They too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that
0: she reverence her husband. Okay. So here we see Paul using marriage as an illustration of Christ and his church. Right, and we see this example of how the husband is to love the wife and sacrifice for her. So Christ did that for. We'll stand before Christ, and when we do, how will the church stand before Christ? Here, and how we'll stand before Christ. Without okay, without spot or blemish, right? That we are perfect, we are cleansed, we are washed clean. How is that possible? Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ did for us. So again, this is important to understand, that the church is vital. Christ sees the church as important. And yes, we are not perfect, but one day we will be perfected. So again, the church not being perfect is an obvious statement to many of us. But in the culture, uh, especially the world around us, some think that Christians believe the church is perfect. That we actually think our churches are perfect, that we are perfect. This is not true. I've never been in a church that actually felt that way or believed that. But somehow this has gotten out there. And I do believe there's a hint of truth that most likely churches or Christians have given off that uh, that opinion, right? Maybe in the way they act, in the way they speak. But obviously we know it's not true. The church, the body of believers, is being perfected by the gospel. We are saved and being saved. One day we will be saved. We've been saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. We will be presented to God as his spotless church without blemish or wrinkle. But in this life, we are still being sanctified, being made holy. Yes, we strive to sin not, First John 2, 1. And yet we know that we have an advocate with the Father because we are not there yet. And I'm so thankful that we are growing and maturing in Christ. And we have an advocate for when we fall and we don't... Um, Strive as we should to avoid sin Gully's issue and mine as well with many churches that they are run more like a fortune 500 company where the bottom line takes precedence over the great commissions. It's more important about how it looks and the bottom line and what we're doing financially. We see this in our church culture where church campuses are treated more like a franchise than a church it's more about just protect this model follow this model and you too can get the same production out of your customers just get more satisfied customers to give to the church so we can do the church do better than the church down the road i can agree with gully and many others that this is not the call of the church it is not the call of the church to produce customers and i say that and you you've probably heard of churches that do this. I know of a church, a very large church, not in our area, that literally years ago, I was reading in a book about different things they did to try to grow the church. And one of the things they did was they put out a survey and asked questions about the lights, the music, the sermons, the length of the sermons, the content of the sermon, anything and everything to do with the church. And it was like, literally like rate us one to 10 on this. How do you think we're doing in this area? And every six months to a year, they would pass these surveys out. And then they would change whatever they needed to change to match up with whatever the customers wanted. Because in a franchise model, the customer is always right. So they would just keep doing this. Until finally, they got a church that was filled. And we talked about this even as a staff. This, I think it was this last week or the week before. Growth is not the best determination of Christlikeness as a church. And here's why. Lots of churches are not Christlike and grow. Lots of churches are Christ-like and grow. Fair? You know churches that preach the Bible, preach Jesus, love on people, preach the gospel, and they're exploding in growth. But then there's another church in town that doesn't do any of that, and they're exploding in growth. And you go, well, wait a minute. Which one's God-blessing? Which one's God-not-blessing? That's why we have to look beyond the surface. But in our church culture today, it's more about just having better programs than the church down the street. And what's funny is, in the last so many years, since I've been in ministry here, when we would get people that would call the church and ask about our church to kind of find out more about our ministry, which I'm actually amazed, and I appreciate so much what TJ does online, because I have so many people that are like, hey, I've been following your services for like six months online. I had somebody that told me over a year ago, they started following our services, and they just came to the first service last Sunday. But they've been watching either weekly or twice a month, listening to sermons, watching the services, and finally two weeks ago, came out to check out a service. It blows me away. Like, it's just kind of surreal that we're just out there, right? Now, some people are like, does that make you nervous about what you preach? No, because again, as I said this morning, I need to preach what I need to preach, and if somebody doesn't like it, they can just turn off the YouTube or turn off the the app or whatever they're watching, right? So, when you hear this, though, and you see that, I used to get questions like, you know, sometimes it was like, um, What do you guys believe about this doctrine? Or what do you believe about that? Or sometimes we're like, what Bible translation do you use as your standard? Or maybe what's your music like? And over the years, I've gotten less and less questions about what we believe and more and more questions about our programs, the size of our ministries. How many do you run in this? And how many do you run in that? Like, how long do you guys usually preach for versus how much music you have? Now, sometimes it's because they're coming from a church that had 50 minutes of music and 15 minutes of preaching, and they're like, I don't like that. I want to know, do you actually preach? And I'm like, oh, we preach. Amen. 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 Yeah. No, we, no I, I'm joking about that. But that's an example. So it's not always a negative, but I find more and more the questions are tend to be more and more surface questions. And so when I do get somebody that calls the church and they say, hey, what do you guys believe about this or that theology or this doctrine? Or do you believe... In truly eternally secure? Like, do you believe that? And we have this deep conversation that I love that, but we live in a church culture that is not producing followers of Christ that are thinking that way. We're living in a church culture that's producing consumers. Wear what I want you to wear, do what I want you to do, or I'll just go down the road. And by the way, this isn't a new thing. This is something that's been in church for a long, long time. So again, We've all heard stories about examples like this. We can all share stories or examples of how the church did not represent Christ well. Every church has weaknesses. Every church has weaknesses. And those weaknesses need to be addressed. Because every church is full of both saved and unsaved individuals. And the saved are merely forgiven sinners that are still battling sin in various forms. And so we constantly need to be addressing under grace and through faith in Christ, those weaknesses. However, the church is still the bride of Christ. I love what uh, Michael Kruger says in his critique of Gully's work. He says this, and I love this. Even so, even so, like the church has weaknesses. We're not perfect. We know that. We admit that. But even so, the church remains Christ's glorious and wonderful bride, dearly loved and cleansed by his blood. Like, yeah, we're not perfect, but we still remain in our identity as Christ's glorious and wonderful bride, dearly loved and cleansed by his blood. The church may not be perfect, but she is set apart as holy. Gully and other progressives do not share the same high view of the church. We said this already. Who created the church in Gully's mind? We did. Because humans wrote this book, Not Inspired. So therefore, the church is not inspired. It's not given and gifted through Christ. It's merely human creation. Gully and progressives, again, do not share the same high view of church as Kruger represents here. To them, it is merely another institution that can be dropped as outdated and unneeded. Gully says this, and I love love again when people that don't believe the word of God to be inspired, quote Jesus, or what Jesus would do, or what Jesus would say. Gully says this, Jesus appeared to give the church little thought, neither its Genesis, meaning his creation, nor continuance seemed a priority to him. Jesus appeared to give the church little thought, neither its creation or its Genesis, nor continuance, continuance seemed a priority to him. So two things to take note here. Progressives are not taking Scripture as a whole, and since Jesus spoke only a few things about the church as they define it, we can dismiss it. However, the entirety of the New Testament obviously speaks to the beginning and priority of the church. But do you see how we have to go back to bibliology? If I dismiss the word of God as inspired, you tell me, well, yeah, but Paul said this, and Acts 2 shows the beginning of the church, and the Spirit of God did this, and and then we compare that with what Jesus said. They'll go, well, I'll take what Jesus said, sort of, but the rest of it I don't believe. That was just man-made to cause control. And because it's not inspired, they can pick and choose. So again, if Jesus only said a couple things with the word church in them, then they would dismiss that. However, they still have a problem. The second point we need to understand is that Jesus cared a great deal about the, the coming church, the creation, and the continuance of the church. He spoke about how to restore fallen sheep, as well as the importance of feeding those sheep the word. What did Jesus tell Peter when he was having that amazing restor- restorative moment with, with Peter? Do you love me? And when Peter said, yes, I do, what did he say? Feed my sheep. What's he referring to? The church. Remember, Peter is the man in Acts 1, really Acts 2, all the way through Acts 9. He's the main kind of leader in that movement, preaching and teaching and all those things. Obviously, he preached on the day of Pentecost. So Jesus understood that and, again, was very connected to this. He is the one that planted the church and is currently building the church. As far as continuance is concerned, he states that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is a statement saying what? I've planted my church. I've founded my church. I'm growing my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's speaking to continuance. Nothing will stop this. So, even in Jesus's, if they want to only take what actually is recorded in the Gospels, their seemingly limited amount of scriptures, does Jesus care about the beginning of the church? Absolutely. Does he care about how the church grows? Absolutely. That's the whole point of church discipline. And he also cares about the continuance of the church. So Jesus very much cared about the church. And that leads us to the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church. This is where we discover the core misunderstanding from progressives. And by the way, this is also seen in churches all across our land. You've talked to Christians maybe that attend other churches or maybe even this church. And their view of the purpose of the church is not appropriate. It's not biblical. And here's what I mean by that. The church is seen in purely a horizontal view. This is another summary, another theme we see through all the commandments. What do I mean by a horizontal view? How humans relate to humans. When you read Gully's work, he'll only talk about how the church's function and the idea of growing. Remember we said that, that we need to function and we need to grow. Do you know what function he's talking about? serving the poor, doing good things, being good people, meeting the needs of the needy, right? Are these bad things? No. But is, that, is, is the only thing the church called to do is serve the needs of other human beings? He would say that's the most important thing that the church can do. Again, human to human. There is no mention of worship, no mention of glorifying God, no mention of preaching the word or the use of the ordinances, baptism and Lord's Supper. Why? Because that doesn't really do anything for people. Preaching, that doesn't do anything. Taking some food and some drink, that doesn't do anything. How are you out in the community serving the the needy and, and blessing the poor and all those things? The church's main responsibility is to merely feed the hungry, help the poor, and minister to the sick. Obviously, these things are a part of the church's purpose, but not its only purpose. Gully sees the role of the church to merely fix society's issues, and when he doesn't see the church doing more, he gets frustrated. Again, Kruger says it well. Such an approach fits remarkably well with progressive Christianity. If one's religious system is pure moralism, then of course the only applicable categories are the horizontal. The church then becomes just another version of the United Way or the local YMCA. All of a sudden, we're just another place to do good things in the community. There's no difference between us and the Red Cross or us and the United Way, and and we're just doing the same good work. Again, nothing wrong with that. We've done blood drives for Red Cross. We're going to do another one in June. Nothing wrong with that. But if your view of the church is based solely in societal issues, this is also what's kind of been labeled the social gospel don't tell me your gospel, show me your gospel. I agree. But then they'll dismiss the actual gospel by saying, just go be a good person and just serve the needs of others. There's commercials that are running right now that are literally based in that exact idea. Just be a good person. And that's all Jesus ever wanted. No, no, no. Jesus said, you must be born again. So again, biblically, the church is not commanded to pick one from the other. It affirms both the horizontal and the vertical needs. I would argue we cannot be the church horizontally in relationships and serving the needs of the poor, the sick, and all of that without a proper vertical relationship. Because if I'm serving the poor just to feel good about myself, I'm not going to do that very long. But if I'm serving the poor because I'm serving the Lord by serving the poor, then that's going to motivate me because I'm glorifying him, honoring him. And what does James say? It's just a way to get to sharing the gospel. It's just a way to get to sharing the gospel. Progressive's solution is to get rid of the church as a whole, rather than encouraging the church to return to its proper place, not as merely a place to fix the world around us, but to be a body of born-again saints proclaiming the word and glorifying God. So again, what are the progressives' problem with church? They don't understand the church. It's purely this. What are you doing to do this? And just stop for a second and think about this. How many times have you even heard someone say, don't answer out loud, but just think about it. And maybe going into the next couple of weeks, when you hear people talk about the church, what do they emphasize? There's nothing wrong. I mean, we're doing things for parking Center Lapeer. There's nothing wrong with that. But if their only emphasis is always this way, then they're missing the actual purpose of the church, which is primarily this way. Right? We are His church. So again, when we preach the gospel and preach the word and And point others to Christ and we gather for the Lord's Supper or people are baptized as we got to be a blessed partaker in last weekend. Man, that is glorifying to God. And that's why we're here. And out of that comes the fruit. Any other thoughts or comments on that before we're dismissed? Thoughts, comments on this talk tonight? Yeah, Avi.
1: hmm Because if you never touch on the eternal and you never care for somebody's eternal soul, yep. and then they spend eternity in hell. I mean, so you're Lazarus, right? I mean you're you had this great feast at your table and you know, like dogs were the crumbs from your floor whatever, that's how much food you had hanging around your house or whatever, but like now you're eternity apart from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: Like, the exact opposite of for somebody as far as feeding and clothing and sheltering but you don't look after their soul mm-hmm. so there's that's fine Renee, we'll come back to that because I agree 100% it is satanic it's twisting and perverting a good thing that God wants us to do by the way Judas tried this right well, that's a waste we should have sold that and given it to the poor and what does Jesus actually say the poor you have with you always, but you won't have me with you always, meaning in the flesh. She did a good thing. So, again, flipping that whole progressive thing around. Renee? When first hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. I thought of my other thing. So um, the first thing that jumped out of my mind when you first started all of this tonight is what a slap in the face of Christ. Mm-hmm. To, to demean his bride in that way. Yeah. Because that's the entire purpose of his ministry is mm-hmm. glory. Except before him, he endured the cross. By yep. For his bride. That's why he came. hmm Yeah. So why, why do you think then? Cause I agree hundred percent. What a slap in the face of Christ. So why then are progressives so adamant to get rid of the church? As far as the structure, the organized quote unquote religion of church. Actual truth is told, mm-hmm. there's conviction. And
1: yes, people will change, but it's uncomfortable to be convicted, and I don't want to give up that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And you are telling me that I can't do this lifestyle anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a good person. Yep. And I help the poor. Yep.
0: Yep. Absolutely. It removes conviction. It removes the preaching unto conviction and repentance. It validates that I'm okay because I've been doing good things, so I don't need a church to be good, right? I know a family member had gone, came
1: out, they went to a church that was, it sounds a lot like what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And then it became the people have to take care of the people. And it became such a burden that then it was oppressive mm-hmm. doing exactly the opposite of what the truth does and the God's true church. Mm-hmm. by the leadership, you must. And if you didn't, you were ridiculed in mm-hmm.
0: front of the others. who mm. weren't doing enough you not be doing. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And isn't wow. that an institution that yeah. to be, like what was that quote that we were, you were reading? Uh, um, hold on. I have a key Yeah, their leadership expected them to do it. This was totally ignored. Yep. Uh, I think it goes to the rich young ruler and the apostles in the early church. Do this, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, follow me. He went away sad. The apostles in the early church did it willingly of their own choosing. Just as we've been studying in Exodus, how the Israelites gave willingly to the needs of the tabernacle. Not forced, not commanded, they just gave. And the Lord blessed because of that. Renee, I thought I saw your hand. Well, and I don't, I don't know because I would say that like Gully would pick at and not be okay with those churches either. That would be like more of a commercial-driven church, um, which would be more of those money-making type churches. Um, kind of like the Blabbit grabbit or more of like... like these conferences that mm-hmm. Financial gain. Yeah. Well, and that's the hypocrisy, right? I'm pretty sure you didn't go there for free right? So obviously they can pick at the corporate church and say, well, you guys are just in it to make money or you guys are just in it to fleece the people. Well, I don't think you're giving your books away, right? So like, you don't like that people are giving money to an organization because you don't believe in what that organization represents. Now, again, I will say, I do think there's churches that do fleece their people that do constantly like, you know, every week there's another, (laughs) we're doing another building program and another building program. And it's like, okay, so I do think there's a line for that. But, yeah, I would say that he would probably be critical of those churches. Um, but, again, I would imagine that if, if somebody was like, well, I'm giving money to United Way or I'm giving money to Red Cross or I'm giving money to whatever organization that's not connected to big church, I, I, I have to believe he'd be okay with that. Because, again, that's affirming the good works only, the moralism, right, be a good person. But you're giving it to this church. Well, yeah, but they're caught up in all this. And I don't agree with what they stand for. So that's where I would think they would, they would distinguish that. Then does this group not Is it just their own Right. <laughs> their own well, here's, here's the thing. So just in my opinion, and again, I, I mean, I'm sure to say progressive Christianity believes outside of some very basic tenets, it's a spectrum, right? There's like levels to this. Um, again, as I said, some people would say, I agree with some of this, but not all of it. Some people like, I agree with all of it. Whatever this guy, you know, gully or roar says, I'm all for it. Um, I would say that I think that they would be still groups that gather, but I think their ideas again, well, we're gathering for this reason and they're gathering for that reason. So you're, you're fleeing the institutional church, the bad big institution. This is more of a free open gathering. But the hypocrisy is, it's still a gathering of like-minded people who believe similar things and want to grow in that belief. It's because it's hypocrisy, right? And that's the thing. Right. Now, by the way, I will say this. Yeah, I will say this though. I've heard of churches eliminating gatherings because of what we want to be doing more in the community. Now, I get the idea behind it. But again, we go to Hebrews chapter ten. So I don't want to go to church and the Bible says I'm not supposed to forsake the gathering, so how can I avoid forsaking the gathering? There's no gathering. If we eliminate the gathering, I'm not breaking a I'm breaking a scriptural principle, right? But what does that passage also say? Why do we gather together? To build each other up, to provoke one another unto love and good works. And how often, as we see the day approaching, should we be doing that? All the more. Now, do we go legalism and it's got to be X amount? No. But again, if there's a gathering and if I can be involved as a member of the body of Christ, I should want to be there. To do the. I took a break for COVID. You know, when I remember where this church is located, but it's multiple campuses. And I think it's down south somewhere. And I just stumbled upon it. One of those YouTube threads, you ever been there? You watch a video, and, oh, there's, an, oh, that one's on, oh, there's another video. Oh, oh I, ooh, that's interesting. And, like, four and a half hours later, you're like, what did I do with my life today? Like, this is embarrassing, right? You just find yourself down this, like, YouTube rabbit hole. I was on one of those waiting for my son to come out of a school event that was supposed to end at 8 o'clock, and I was there until 9.30. I don't know what happened, but anyway. <laughs> I was in the parking lot, like, are you coming out? Yeah, in a minute. 45 minutes later. Um, so as I was in that rabbit hole, this church, and I mentioned this, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. They did this like video thing with their leadership and they were talking about ideas moving forward and they literally surveyed the people who have been online. And I, this sounded like it was for 2023. So they were online from like, when was COVID? March, March of 2020 till the end of 2022. No in-person gatherings of any kind. It sounded like now I could be wrong, but that's what it sounded like. So they were talking about, well, how are we going to move forward with this? Like, how do we want to gather and what do I want to do? So they surveyed their people. They actually said, it sounds like our people don't want to give up their weekends. So they decided we will not have any Sunday morning gatherings. It's all going to be online content. We're just going to do online content. And we'll make content and you can consume it when it's easy for you. Because who, and the one leader, I don't know if he's a pastor or just a leader. He said, I don't want to give up my weekend. To go to a event. And this is where terms matter. Our gatherings are not events. Again, do you hear the consumerism in that? Why go to an event? And this is, again, some churches that see their gatherings as events, they put on a performance. So everything's got to be a performance. Amen. Bentley, he just said amen. I know he did. He meant amen there with that sneeze. So when you hear that, this church was willing to say, we're not gathering at all. It's all online. Why? Because that's what our people really want. And then the one woman leader or whoever said, and that would actually take a large financial commitment from our people to do a weekly event. So now that sounds to me like they're not giving financially to this, at least not to what they were. So to me, again, to answer the question, yeah, I think there's some churches that are taking this to the extreme of, well, we can, and this is, again, why phrases matter, right? How we say these things and what we mean. Don't attend church, be the church. That's our one of our simple statements of what it means to live your faith. People will take that statement and they'll go, well, then I don't have to go to church to be the church. That's not what that statement means. The other thing we need to note is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church is always a collective. Individually, you are not the church individual. We are the church collective. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we come together as the body of Christ. But when people say that, I don't have to go to church to be the church, that means I can go live out the function of the church, glorify God and how I witness, share, bless, and do all those things. But not at the expense of the gathering. And we've taken phrases like that, that are sound good and, and in, in principle, I like the idea behind, but we've kind of exploded it out, and now we use it as an excuse. But the truth is, you're not the church individual, I'm not the church individual, right? We need the gathering to be the church, okay? So we'll go ahead and um, we're going to close because it's like seven twelve, and you guys got me on that little preaching rant. What's going on? I, y'all got me going. Okay. Um, but no, I do hope this has been a blessing to you and encouragement to you guys. And again, this is not to be critical in the sense of any one person— we're critical of the teaching. We're critical of the ideas, okay? This is not an attack. If you find someone who's like a progressive Christian, don't go out like, you're a horrible person. No, okay? What we mean is we want to guard our thinking against wrong teaching. And we want to think the proper way so we can defend our faith, okay? Well, let's pray. And we'll let you guys be dismissed. Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord. We thank you for this time that we can gather together. And I pray that it's been glorifying to you. And, Lord, a benefit and a blessing to your church. Father, thank you that this is more, so much more than a human event that we just come together and be entertained with some music and hear some motivational speaking and then go about trying to do good things. Lord, What a shallow way to see the church because, Lord, at the end of the day, I, as a follower of Christ, I need so much more than just a motivational talk. I need the word of God. I need the conviction of the spirit. I need the direction of your word. I need you to equip me and strengthen me to do the things I'm called to do because, Lord, even with those things, I still fall short. I still don't do what I should do. As Paul says in Romans 7, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. We need you desperately. So thank you for your church. Thank you for the body of Christ. Lord, forgive us where we've neglected the body of Christ or neglected These things we've been talking about tonight, Lord, because it's beneficial and it's needed to us and for us so that we might glorify you. Father, we pray you'd bless this church and this community that we'd make. We would make a difference and an impact for Christ. But that, Lord, ultimately that you would be glorified. Thank you for all that you're doing here. Lord, thank you for all that you have done over these last 125 years of just changing lives in this community and all over the world. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless as we go our separate ways. Bring us back on Wednesday, Lord, and again, thank you for all that you do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, you guys are dismissed. We'll see you Wednesday night at 645.